Arlington Links rely on partnerships and the amazing work of so many organizations and leaders to achieve our collective community goals. I hold dear the bonds of friendship. We are friends transforming communities through service. implement transformative programs that address the most critical needs of underserved communities. Welcome to LinkedIn Impact with the Arlington Links, a podcast which transforms our community by highlighting the issues, resources, and leaders that you need to know. At a time when there is backlash against DEI efforts, along with the resignation of Claudine Gay, the first Black woman to serve as president of Harvard University, we felt it was time to have a discussion about how those of us who are DEI proponents continue moving DEI forward. I personally don't think we take the time to define what success looks like for DEI and acknowledge practically and realistically what we discuss in our conversation as the backlash that history tells us we can expect and how we emerge from this current backlash with a stronger movement and a stronger society. In this conversation with Joy Cheney, founder and principal of JOI Strategies, and Jessica Page, a social scientist with the RAND Corporation, two Harvard graduates, we hear their perspectives on what DEI means, what success for DEI looks like, how Black women can succeed despite the challenges, and what's next for the future of DEI post-Claudine Gay's resignation. Thank you both for joining us on our podcast today. Both of you graduated from Harvard. I'd love to hear more about your career paths and your time at Harvard. We can start with you, Joy. I had a great experience at Harvard. And matter of fact, when you were talking, you sounded like you had said Howard and Harvard together. And I was thinking that would be perfect because <laughs> I'm a Howardite. <laughs> yes, I'm a Howardite and third generation. And then I'm a Harvard Law graduate. And I have to say, like, I think Howard perfectly prepared me for the Harvard Law experience. It was you know, a big school with a lot of diversity, just like Howard. And it really allowed me to be my full self. Great experience. It was the time where I was with people who all similarly motivated, obviously really smart. It had a lot of different interests. I mean, I just felt really at home instantly. And it helped because I had some sorority sisters who were already there. When I got there, I mean, it was just a great time in my life. Thank you. And you, Jessica? Yeah, so I went to Harvard for my PhD and I finished in 2011. I got my PhD in sociology and I decided to go there because they had a great sociology department. And it was really a wonderful time. It was a long time. I was in school for a while working on my PhD, but and it was a challenging journey. But Harvard is a wonderful space to be a graduate student. There are just so many resources, had great mentors. It was very diverse. I think my cohort of graduate students in the sociology department was one of the more diverse they had had in a while. So I really enjoyed interacting with my peers and I found a lot of support for my own interests and my research interests. It just played a major role in my career trajectory. I work in policy research now and before working in policy research, I was a faculty member. And so if it hadn't been for Harvard, 
in my experience, I wouldn't be able to have accomplished many of the things that I have. So I owe a lot to the institution. Excellent. So we all know there have been numerous attacks on DEI and attempts to roll back. Some would say what has been recent progress, even though we know those of us who have been working on this issue for a long time, we know that it's been a long time coming to the position we are today with some of the achievements that we've been able to accomplish. Previous shows, we talked about the future of DEI. And that conversation included everything from the importance of conversation with people who are different from each other just to learn more about each other. We also talked about some of the policy changes. For example, in Arlington County, there's a missing middle initiative for upzoning and to make housing more affordable. When you all think about DEI, how do you define it? in terms of your world and what you're working on now? And also, what do you consider success in DEI? And I'll start with you, Jessica. Sure. Well, I think to me, it really means dismantling systemic inequality in our organizations and institutions and rebuilding them in a way that really provides opportunities for true inclusion for people from all backgrounds. So when I think about what that success looks like, I think it really means that we have people from different backgrounds in our community, our schools, our workplaces, and other institutions that are not just being tolerated, but are truly a fabric, a part of the fabric of those spaces. So this can mean when your organization really having diverse leaders that shape the goals and the policies of the organization so that we don't have things that benefit one group more than another, or having curricula in our schools that is doesn't privilege one set of ideas over another, but truly integrates all experiences and perspectives. So I think for me, it really is changing the way that our organizations and our institutions function to be more inclusive. Excellent. And Joy? Thanks so much for that question. For me, it's about making sure that we are righting historical wrongs, right? And that we are accounting for the fact that we have had systemic misogyny, systemic racism, a lot of isms in our country, and it's how we built America, right? And we have to acknowledge that there are inequities there. And if we want everyone to have a a true role, if we want to truly be inclusive of all, if we want to be a more perfect union, we're going to have to atone for some of that. And in order to make it right, we're going to have to be able to see that you just can't have all white people, all white men, all heterosexual men all the time, Mm -hmm. all Christians all the time. That in and of itself is artificial. In order to achieve that, you had to hold other people back. That is not normal, right? That is not normal. So we want to remove some of those barriers. That's part of it. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, take your foot off her. That's what we want to start with. But then we also might have to say, for those who have been historically left behind, we might have to give you some special consideration, not a leg up, but we might have to take into a things that we never measured before but that we should measure because it means something. Mm -hmm. It means something. And it might mean that you are more successful. The same measures that we're always using aren't necessarily the ones that are the only ones that we should be measuring. We can't just measure those things that work for a certain group. Otherwise, we'll get the same things we've always done. I completely agree with Jessica in terms of what success looks like. means you get to change the channel, right? It means you get to go to the DJ and change the music, right? You're not just dancing. You're not just in the dance hall, but you actually get to make a difference. And that is really the tough part. That's tough for any homogenous organization when you have people who come in and there's diversity and then all of a sudden 
things that once were not because those people are in positions of power. And not only are they in position of power for one day, they're in, hopefully they can be in position of power a long time so that they can feel comfortable enough to try to make the changes that they want to make. That's what success looks like. It is natural. And one of the signs, is it proportional to population? I think when you're looking at your organization, if everyone in there is looking a certain way, is a certain way, because that's by design. It's not natural that it wouldn't be that way. So you do have to make some evaluation of that. So I want to giving people opportunity for one, removing from their neck, and then also doing the things we need to do to make sure truly have an opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you both for those responses. When I think about Claudine Gay, I think so many of us, no matter how you feel about DEI, really saw her as an example of what you all are are saying, kind of that success, one of those points of success towards our ideal for whatever DEI is in this country. Someone who was not only the first Black president of Harvard, such a revered institution in our nation, but also she herself with her research and the work that she had done throughout her career focused on DEI-type efforts like diversifying staff. She did research on voter attitudes about race and identity. So she became a natural target for the anti-DEI movement. Can you all talk more about your thoughts on this anti-DEI movement? And I'll start with you, Joy. It's flat out. It's racist. It's misogynist. It's classist. It's all the things. And it is meant to divide people. They understand what happens. So for those who don't want to see historically marginalized, no longer fully marginalized communities advance, they know what you got to do is you got to get people fighting against each other. That's the playbook and all, and it works. So that's what they're seeking to do. They're seeking to fight back. But I'm going to say, so that's a given. And I think for most of your audience members, they'll just agree with that. I do think in some respects, so I'll say something that many people won't agree with, mix it up a little bit. I think in some respects, while we are not responsible for their racism, I do think that some aspects of the way that we approach quest for diversity, equity, and inclusion can't garner backlash. So you have to be careful when you are fighting for equity, not that you're going to hold yourself back, but sometimes I think you have to be clear that you're not persecuting people for being white. (laughs) You have to be careful Mm -hmm. in your language for being male, not making stereotypical comments, incendiary comments, not shouting people down because they disagree with you, not nitpicking with them. Language is important. We're not saying it's not. But if someone makes a mistake, blackballing them over, I do think sometimes when you overreach, you can start a backlash. But in this case, I think that backlash was always coming. It was always going to come. As we advanced, as they saw a Black man and woman in the White House, that that was fair a lot. And that's what this is, white lash. This is a response to the Me Too movement, where a lot of men felt persecuted. This is irrational response to what they feel is a loss of something, which really is just equity. It's what it would look like if it was equitable. They're going to have to work. They're going to have to pay attention to someone else's. Not always going to be their norm. Of course, the three of us on this call, this podcast, we know that everything's not our norm. We have to work hard, right? And sometimes we have to make adjustments. Well, other people are going to have to do that too. That's what it means to live in a multicultural society. I think we're facing backlash, racist and all the other is backlash. And it's the dark before the dawn, I have to believe. Excellent. 
So Jessica, I want you to answer that too, but I'm just kind of curious as for those of us who are working on, I know Jessica, your focus is sociology, but working on political movements, social movements, I think if we look back in history, we can clearly see the backlash when it happened and how some steps forward, some steps back. I just kind of wonder, how do we prepare our community, especially when we have what I, well, generation is stereotyped of wanting everything here and now, not being patient. How do we prepare our advocate and our researchers who are working in these movements to be prepared for that and to not just get discouraged for what may be just a natural backlash? We're dealing with what you say, Joy, is just, this is what happens in a multicultural society. There are going to be people who are different measures of success. How do we prepare people for that almost emotionally? Do you all have any thoughts on that? Well, I think you make a really important point, Krista. This type of backlash is not new, and I think it's really important to keep that in context. If we just look at sort of the modern post-civil rights era, I mean, affirmative action policy is a great example. As soon as affirmative action was issued in the form of an executive order, there was backlash in court cases within a few years. So anytime a move has been made toward progress, toward more racial equality in particular, there has been almost immediate backlash and we've had to fight it and we've had to overcome that. And I think it's important to keep that in context for folks because we keep going. Despite the backlash, we keep going. Our ancestors have persisted. Those who have come before us have persisted. And so that's the space that we occupy. I was thinking about in my own life, the first time I experienced sort of backlash was getting into college. I went to the University of Pennsylvania, grew up in Iowa. And so I remember telling people in my high school where I got into college and immediately it was because you're Black. And that was at 17 years old. So that's where it began for me and it has not stopped since then. So this is, while it seems to be at a heightened level right now, because we've had folks pushing more boundaries, a Black president of Harvard, a Black president of the United States, a Black woman on the Supreme Court. These are major barriers that have been broken down. Anytime something happens that makes folks in the majority uncomfortable, this is unfortunately often a response. And so if we look at history, we can use that to prepare us with the tools to move forward in the future. Mm-hmm. Can I just add one thing? Yes. I remember I was at, yeah, I was at a DNC conference once and Melissa Harris Perry was talking. And I don't know if you all remember, in 2016, we thought Hillary was going to win. Mm-hmm. And so we were at this DNC conference and Melissa Harris Perry was talking and she was like, listen, I just want to say something to you all. And she was talking predominantly to the white women in the audience. And she was saying, I want to tell you all something that Black ladies understand already is that if you get what you want, right, which is that. Hillary Clinton is the next president of the United States, and she was very clear, despite all my critiques, that's, of course, what I want to, right? If we get what we want, women better be careful, because the amount of backlash Mm. that we are going to experience, both collectively, but here's the thing, individual is going to be great. And I have to say, at that moment, I was like, man, that is so true. And she was like, this is what Black people are experiencing. And all of us in the room who were Black, we were like, yeah, I mean, we have experienced more just collective racism, but also more in your face, mm-hmm. individualized bigotry and comments and boldness that we're just not used to. And that women should be careful. And that is such a scary thing. And she was talking about, of course, Krista, what you're talking about, that historical rhythm. Mm-hmm. Progress mm-hmm. and backlash. Progress and backlash. Reconstruction, backlash. So we know what ebb we are in, right? In our country's history, we have to remind. But I do think there is one thing different in this moment is that 
Donald Trump and those who would follow him also see this ebb and flow, and they are seeking to make it impossible to have the flow. They are seeking to dismantle democracy. So that is what I think makes this moment a little unique and not completely unusual, right? They've tried this before, but there does seem to be a willingness. And I think we saw it on January 6th, right? I mean, like if the American government doesn't work for them, they will burn it down. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is concerning because the tools then that we use mm-hmm. to fight back the backlash could be dismantled this time. When you look at what Benjamin Netanyahu is seeking to do in Israel, mm-hmm. trying to undermine their justice system, that's mm-hmm. what can happen. And it's happening. And they're watching. And these strong men, if you will, are watching each other and they're taking a playbook and they're figuring out what works, right? So I'm concerned because it seems to be a willingness to dismantle the tools of democracy. And that's a problem. Absolutely. And I think what you're saying, too, is that as advocates or people who believe in democracy, our tools now have to become different and updated. We have to really strategize about we can't do things the way we've always been doing things because the game is different. So our playbook has to be different. So I think that's a a really good point. And, you know, building off of that, I'd love to talk a little bit more about what you all are seeing either personally or with your networks, either what you've researched or what you've kind of seen firsthand. With Claudine Gay, there aren't a lot of Black women who can completely understand what she's going through. It's a elite group of Black women presidents. But there are similarities between some of the things that she went through, as well as those of us who are just trying to advance in our careers. So several of us are the first in something. We have been attacked in some way. Our qualifications aren't always what matters in certain situations. We haven't been supported by boards or allies, who people we think are allies. Do you have any thoughts or just observations of what you're seeing on a almost on the ground practical way with how individual Black women are handling this situation that a lot of us are finding ourselves in? And I'll start with you, Jessica. Sure. Well, I think, you know, as you pointed out, it's definitely a reminder that no matter how much we accomplish, our positions can be really fragile. I mean, Claudine Gay herself, I remember when she started as a faculty member when I was a graduate student at Harvard and just hearing so much about her and how amazing she is and how accomplished she was. In some ways, when it was announced that she was going to become the president, it was not surprising because if anybody was going to be the next president, she was certainly in line. She's a wonderful scholar. And so it's a reminder, again, that you can have this perfect career and it can be taken. People will try to take it from you instantly. So I think because of that, you know, folks are leaning into their networks, they're talking about this, they're seeking support, just reminding each other that we have to make sure we support each other and take care of the folks around us because this is a challenging space. On the other hand, I think people are speaking out and saying that this is not acceptable. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, again, we are in these spaces and we're not going to be scared out of them. We're not going to be chased away from our jobs. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be intimidated by wealthy donors. I have been really exciting in some ways to see so many people speak out against what happened and say, this is not an acceptable way to run an institution. This is not an acceptable way to treat Black women. And so that part of it has been something that has come out of it. We're not going to sit here and accept that this has happened to somebody. We're going to go do everything we can to make sure it doesn't happen to others. Absolutely. And what are your thoughts, Troy? 
Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, one of the things Harvey Milk says, I had said, you have to tell people who you are, right? Black women started telling people who they are. They started telling their stories, right? All over, we started saying, let me tell you, this happened to me at work. Mm-hmm. I lost my job because of this. I lost my funding because of that. I just led a conversation with women leaders, uh, multicultural folks told me afterwards, I faced pressure because I wouldn't say this. Just started telling their stories. And they also said, we are vulnerable. It could be me next. Mm-hmm. Easily could be me next. I mean, that in and of itself. And by the way, for the white women who hear that, they're like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Really? They're like, mm-hmm. yes, me too, right? That happened to me, right? Toronto Burke, me too. There's mm-hmm. power in just telling the truth about what has happened to you. There is no shame in it. It happened to you. And then folks are like, well, you're great. You, I know you, right? And if that happened to you, that's terrible. And you're like, yes, well, guess what? If that happened to me, that can happen to her. And so that's number one. We have to tell the truth. Number two, we also have to fight for each other. Almost mm-hmm. like warfare, right? I'm not a person. I don't even understand the allegiance people have to these silly teams. But I get it, right? Therefore, they're teams, okay? <laughs> in Detroit, Baltimore, whatever. And we have to be for our team a little bit, right? I mean, not such that you're supporting people doing wrong things, but I think you have to say like, hold on, I'm not going to be the first to critique my own. I'm going to actually listen, wait, get the facts, hold their back, and then I'm going to find out what's happening and give them good advice. And if they're wrong, then I can say that and I can see that that's okay, but I'm not going to overreact. And I think with African-Americans, sometimes because of the way we've treated our first notion is, let me just go. Mm-hmm. I don't want to embarrass my community. Something bad has happened. Let me go away. Let me walk away. Let me protect myself. And sometimes we have to say to our people, you don't have to protect yourself. We will protect you. Stay in the fight. Stay out there. I don't care what they say about you. I don't care what they say about you. I don't care what they try to do. We are here for you because I love Claudine. I don't know her, but I love her as a sister. If you're hearing us, Claudine, I wish you could have waited a few mm-hmm. I wish you could have waited a few more days because mm-hmm. within a few more days, we had an onslaught of articles that mm-hmm. were talking about how contrived this all was. Absolutely. And I wish she had had someone say, you know what, girl, I don't care what they are doing. I don't care what they have. I know it's BS and I got you. Can you hang on just a little while longer? And I don't know what the background was. I'm not speaking to that, but I do think we have to say to each other, mm-hmm. hang on. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. And lastly, what do you all, and you kind of addressed this in some of your earlier responses, but what do you think is next, either for Claudine Gay, for DEI, for Black women who are encountering these types of pressures? What's going to be next with this? And I'll start with you, Jessica. Well, I think Melissa Harris Perry, which I mentioned her, and one thing she used to always say on her show is struggle continues. As troubling as the situation has been with Claudine Gay, one thing, if we look specifically at that, I think is also really important is that She has unfortunately been forced out as president, but Harvard still has more faculty of color and administrators of color on campus right now than in any time in its history. And that cannot be reversed. And I think that really is also part of the core of the anger that shaping this anti-DEI movement is that they know that. You can't remove all of these folks from campus. You can try to now succeed in getting Claudine Gay to resign. But at the end of the day, you still have so many faculty of color on that campus that are continuing to demand change. And I think that's the case in a number of institutions and organizations. It's gotten to a point where it's going to be very difficult to reverse progress. It's scary. We're at a scary point in time. and We have to continue to fight. 
But at the same time, look at the three of us. We're in our institutions and we're here and we're here to stay. I'm not going anywhere. And we're continuing to create paths for folks that look like us to mm. come behind us. And that is very threatening. And that is, I think, again, a big source of a lot of the anger right now is that that is very difficult to reverse at this point in time. And so in that way, today, I'm going to choose optimism. And I think we're going to continue to move forward because we're here and we're continuing to demand change. Absolutely. And what are your thoughts, Joy? So I agree. I'm choosing hopefulness. The glass is full. We're moving forward. The fight really continues. In some respects, we've already seen the future, right? Bonnie Willis said I'm not going anywhere. I may be loud. I may be wrong. But it has nothing to do with my case. And I might have to make adjustments, but to hell with you. This is how, I mean, she's taken on that persona. And whether that's how any one of us would handle it, I think it sort of, you kind of build a little muscle. I see what you're doing. You're capitalizing on my humanity. And so, of course, my humanity is flawed, but I'm not going to get distracted. And I'm going to count that everyone's going to have my back. Sometimes we just have to have greater practice with this. Many of us are leading in these roles, as you said, Krista, for the first time. And while we are used to being as Black people, we are often attacked. We're not used to having to withstand, withstand just attack at this level, at this public level. Mm-hmm. And in order to be in these types of jobs, in order to just have really thick skin, have curves of steel and a little shameless, mm-hmm. you just can't worry about what everybody thinks of you. And I'm not saying anyone that we've talked about tonight does, but, but that takes practice. And I have seen some examples, right? One organization I'm thinking about right now, where there was a Black woman there, was totally done wrong, was pushed out. Your organization, I think, kind of learned from that. Like they understood it and they kind of got it, right? They said, so when this new leader was selected, the new leader was very open about the fact that as a Black woman leader, she would need leeway and that people were going to come for her. And she wanted to know, would they protect her? And they had an open conversation about it. And she had had an experience negatively in the past. But now that she's coming to this new role, because she's open about it and she's prepared for it, I think she's going to be very successful. And I have to say, if I went back in an organization, I would ask, do you know what it means to hire me? Because it's not going to be easy, not Mm -hmm. for me and not for you. And if you're not ready for what that means, if you're not ready to go to bat for me, then we should save ourselves the time and money. So I think that we're able, we have new words for it. We know how to articulate it. We've talked about it. We can see it. And people who are seeking to divide us, we have to be able to say, I see what you're doing. I'm not going to allow it. Get out of here. So if you're a Latino person and you're being pitted against a Black person, if you're a white woman and you're being pitted against a Black woman, if you're a Black woman and you're getting pitted against a Black woman, we've got to be able to say, I know it. I've seen this playbook before. You go to hell. We'll work out our differences. We will work out. We have differences. We'll work them out, but not through this divisiveness, not through this paid artificial divisiveness. That's my hope for what's next. Excellent. Well, thank you both. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I thank you all for being candid and reflective in such an interesting time. You could say that about almost every day that we're living in now, but I really enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having us. (laughs) 
I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Joy and Jessica, and I hope it gave you some food for thought as you think about how we can both succeed as individuals and best advocate for DEI and a stronger community for generations to come. For more information on the Arlington VA chapter, visit our website at arlingtonlinksinc.org and follow us on social media at Arlington Links. Mm-hmm.